Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. It's day 29, and we're going to cover Exodus 34 through 36. Last time we left off where the people had sinned against God with the golden calf, and they had even gotten so deep in their depravity. Some have put that Israel had violated all 10 of the commands that God had given them. And when we look at what's happening, Moses commissions the Levites, if you're with God, come with me. And they slaughtered 3,000 Israelites in one swoop in that day. And then God is coming as well. And Moses intercedes for the people and God relents. He answers his prayer and Moses cannot believe it. He says, I need to really know that you're with me and that you're going to answer this prayer. Show me your glory. And God does that. We talked about he not only gave him his presence, but he gave him his word. And that is very important because the buzzword today is encounter Jesus or encounter God. We live in a day and age where people want to encounter God and feel the presence of God apart from his word. And that just doesn't work. We see it here in Exodus. We continue to pick up in chapter 34 and the two tablets are replaced. We talked about the tablets last time, and that may have been a shocker for some people. But if you look into this culture, that's what would have happened in this culture. They would have had two tablets one copy for the king and one copy for the people. And so verses one through four, Moses redoes that. Look at verse one. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me at the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Verse four. So he cut out two stones like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him. And he called on the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, here we have it again. God is revealing his word. God is showing his presence, giving his glory by proclaiming. We will never have his presence and his glory isolated from his word. But we get something amazing here. Look at verse six. The Lord proclaimed, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And now we have our word, loving kindness, pesit. That's the Hebrew word. And if you'll notice something about this, when John says in John chapter one, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, that's this exact phrase right here. That's a claim to deity. And if you could catch that here, you'll see John arguing that basis when we get to the book of John. But verse seven, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Don't let this trip you up. Remember to those who hate him. If they were to turn and repent, 
God will not judge the son for the sins of the father. And so God has revealed his great name and we have to talk about what he's done here. He says he's compassionate, which shows his kindness. He's good, just like a mother to a child. That's the feel of this word here. He's kind, he's gracious, he's not sadistic. He's not out to get people. This word means proactively doing good for someone. He's slow to anger, which means he's long suffering. It's our word patience. It's funny because in the Hebrew, the word slow to anger, long suffering is long of nose. <laughs> and that, that always makes me laugh because why, what does having a long nose has to do with being slow to anger? In the Hebrew culture, if a person was, like we say, hot-headed, they would say hot nose. A person nose would get hot. They're hot-headed. They, they anger quickly. And if a person had a long nose, it took a long time for their nose to heat up. And that's, that's just an interesting thing there in Hebrew culture that you pick up as you study this people. But he's also loving kindness. And this word will stick with us and it will become a very important word. And we have to learn that this is the reason that Israel is not destroyed. The only reason that they're not destroyed, which they should be. We saw earlier in Exodus that you should have no other gods before me. And if you do, you deserve death. They deserve this. God was showing them that they deserve this. And he relents. And the only reason he relents is because of this word here. Loving kindness. The Hebrew word chesed. The New Testament word grace. We'll see loving kindness in our text. But the word more accurately means a covenant love and a covenant loyalty. And from here on, writers are going to build a lot of their theology off of this. Many of the Psalms, Psalm 107 is built off of this. And like we said, our New Testament word grace comes from this word. So in verses 10 through 27, the covenant is renewed. More instruction is given how to operate once they enter the land. The commandments are reiterated, but we have to stop and look at verses 29. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterwards, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face till he went in to speak with him. This is very important. Moses had the privilege to view God with unveiled face. But the people could not even look at Moses' face after he came out. They had to look at him 
with veil face. And the significance here is this will come up again when we come to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18, mainly verse 12. The privilege we get is it says that we can view God with unveiled face, just like Moses. We are like Moses in that we see glory and get this, and we reflect glory too. When we've been with him, when we've communed with him in the word, he's shown us his glory. And now we can go out and be glory bearers for him. But our glory does not fade like Moses. We are transformed into the image and the likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory from glory to glory. And I want you to be encouraged because you have his word. Therefore, God can consistently meet you just like he met Moses in Exodus 33. And he can, on a daily basis, show you his glory. Exodus proves what we're doing, the importance of it the importance of the word and the importance of prayer. You can, haven't mentioned this yet, but now we also know that place where that high priest could only go one time a year, you can go into the holies of holies and you can view God with unveiled face based on his word. What more do you need? Nothing at all. In chapter 35, the Sabbath is emphasized. It says that Moses assembled the congregation and told them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a holy day. The Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. So God is restating and emphasizing the Sabbath because rest is important to him. That's the purpose of his creation. And he wants to model that and get back to that. This is very important to God, and you'll consistently see this coming up again. And then it says in verse five, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. I love this. Whoever has a willing heart, let him bring it to the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, and the blue and purple and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, the ram skin, dot, dyed red, and porpoise skin, and archaea wood and the oil for lighting and spices for the anointing oil for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. And now remember, it's about to be deja vu for you. You're about to start hearing the same language over again because it's what we talked about in chapters 25 through 31. You got the instructions. Now, we're about to get the execution of it. We're about to get the building of the tabernacle. That's why you hear this language. Whoever has a willing heart, bring the contributions here. I told you the measurements. I told you what will be needed. Now we need the material. Now we need to get started. It's like building the house. If you want to build a house first, you talk with the architect and the builder. You draw blueprints. But once you get that drawn up, okay, let's go to Lowe's. Let's go to Home Depot or a lumber supply store if we're going to buy, if we're going to buy builder grade material, but let's go to a custom store if we're going to buy custom and let's get the material and let's start building. And that's what you have here. Look at verse 10. Now let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Look at what we have here. Look at the order, the tabernacle and its tents and its coverings 
and its hooks and its boards and bars and pillars and its sockets, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat, the curtains, the table and its poles and its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand and its utensils, the lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway and the entrance of the tabernacle. I want you to catch the rhythm of this. What's happening? You're starting from the center where God is and you're building out. That's communicating two things. One, you start with the most important central thing, which is God is the focus of this. God makes this engine move. So we focus on him first, but also it reminds Israel that you're sinners. As you build, you're slowly going away from God's presence because you don't deserve to be there. Only the high priest can go in there. So you build from the inside out. And look, it says in verse 17, all the way to the court and to the gate of the court. This is almost identical ordering of what we read before. And in that direction, they're walking backwards. And we'll see the significance of that more. The only way you get back there is you need a mediator. And it creates the tension that we need a mediator to be able to bring us to God. The priests will model it for a while, but we need a better mediator. We need a better high priest. Verse 21 says, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought all the Lord's contribution. And look at verse 25, all the skilled women spun with their hands. And we need to emphasize this. The women were involved as well. All of God's people are involved in this operation. Verse 29, the Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring the material for all of the work, which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. This is very important to the Lord. He wants people to be moved in their heart because God loves obedience and God loves pure, authentic worship from the heart. And this is something that we'll pick up on over and over again. This is why Jesus, when we get to the New Testament, he has no stronger than that for a hypocrite. Now let's move to chapter 36. It says, now Bezalel and Aholiab, remember our two guys, let every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform it in accordance to all the Lord has commanded. And look at verse five, it says, they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for the construction work, which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. And this is what I love. Most people would say, man, if they're giving, let them keep giving. The more the merrier. No, we are obedient. We give God our best. If he's given us instructions on how this is to operate, we don't want any less and we don't want any more. And this is the right heart of God's servants. And I love this here. And something else that happens in the rest of this chapter that you have to catch is the beautiful obedience of the servants of God. 
it's almost word for word what was prescribed in Exodus 25 through 31. They carry it out. If you look at chapters 25 through 28, it'll say, this you will do. But when we get here in the execution, guess what it says? They made and they made or they did and it was done and they made. And I love that shows execution that shows obedience. Let's grab a few. Look at verse 11. He made hoops of the blue on the edge of the outermost curtains. Verse 12, he made 50 loops. Verse 13, he made 50 clasps of gold. Verse 14, then he made curtains of goat hair. And just on and on, you get it verse after verse. They're obeying God exactly how he prescribes almost word for word. Verse 18, he made. 19, he made. 20, then he made. 31, then he made. And we get that on out throughout the rest of the chapter. Now, let's close to say, why was God so specific? And he knew exactly what he wanted Israel to do in order for him to dwell with his people. Where did God get that template from? Let's close with this. Hebrews 8, 5 tells us, it says that this was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. And so you have to grab this. The instructions of the tabernacle are so exact because God is giving Israel a model of what it looks like in heaven, an example of what it looks like to dwell with God in heaven. And so this is truly when heaven meets earth. And this is why Israel is our people. God has come down and has dwelt with these people. And the true God of heaven is in their midst. God, heaven has come down and met earth. The tabernacle is where heaven and earth meets. And let's take that into application today. God has come down and indwelt his believers with the Holy Spirit. And you are now temples of the living God. And when you come together corporately, you form a church and you are now where heaven and earth meets. You are now the official authorized ambassadors of Christ. The only way the gospel moves forward now is through you. The only way it would have moved forward in the past was through Israel. This is not to pump you up or to make you arrogant. This is to sober you and to make you understand the responsibility you have and why you can't keep your mouth shut. You have to tell people about Jesus and you have to meet with your local assembly because you're proclaiming the glory of God. This is where heaven meets earth and God has demonstrated that to you. Please do not go make a molding calf. He's done something special through your life. Now go obey him word for word. Just like Bezalel and Aholiab, obey him word for word. May it be said of your life, well done, my good and faithful servant. He or she did, and she did, and she did, and he did, and he did everything I commanded. To him or to her, obedience was truly better than sacrifice. Love you and praying for you, beloved.